Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for Virginia Tech and ACC sports. I'm Justin Cochiola alongside Tim Hurth. It is Friday, December 3rd, and uh, man, what a what a fun time to be in Oakland. Now, we're talking about the new Virginia Tech head football coach, Brent Pry. Uh, we're going to break down his hire, uh, talk about his press conference, and uh, everything that kind of goes along with that. Exciting times to be a Hokie, so it seems. Uh, we're also going to talk about the Commonwealth Cup and uh, having it for uh, the 17th out of 18 years in Blacksburg and uh, the, the whooping that J.C. Price put on her, or at least uh, maybe not a whooping, but the victory. That was a whooping. That was maybe, a whooping. maybe the whooping in, in the post game uh, at, on the field afterwards. Uh, we're going to talk about all that. Uh, Bronco Mendenhall surprise resignation. We'll chat about that briefly. Uh, take a quick look at the ACC championship game between Pitt and Wake Forest. But before all that, Tim, what's going on? Life's a whirlwind, man. We just got back from my daughter's Christmas pageant, which was awesome. Uh, she sang and, and did some hand dancing. I don't know what you call that. Interpretive dance with your hands, the children way of dancing. I don't know, but she did some of that. Yeah, a lot of this. Um, there were some handbells. I'm, I'm, I'm great at it. She's too young for the handbells, but I mean, let me tell you, they're tearing those little handbells up. Handbells. Handbells. Yeah. Yeah, I love um, the handbells. Reminds um, me of like mass, Catholic mass. But low key, this was the first performance I've seen any of my offspring in. Um, and there's a lot of nerves that shoot through your body when your daughter's about to get up there and do something. Because you're yeah. just like, please. Well, the, the honor of our family is on the line here. Just the benefit you have of that is I'm sure you've gotten like a lot of behind the scenes practice action. Oh, yeah. So oh, you knew yeah. exactly how it was going to go. I was so proud. She, um, there's a big thing about nerves and, you know, they got up there and saying, you know, they said, please, you know, we're hopeful that all the children aren't too nervous or whatever. And, uh, when my wife spoke to Audrey, she asked if she was, were nervous. they on stage when they made that announcement? Cause yeah, they were. What better was, way to bring on the nerves? I don't that's, <laughs> That was my first thought was, well, they didn't have nerves before. Thanks. Um, but she, you know, she went over to Audrey and she said, you know, are you nervous? And she said, no, mom, it's my time to shine. I was like, that's my girl. That's my girl. She's earth. <laughs> Let's go. Oh man. No, sounds great. It's lights, camera, action time. And let me tell you, she go. tore it. She tore it up. She tore it up. Wow. So yeah, it was that's great. good. I can tell you, I, I don't think uh, my oldest would be able to do that based off of, I don't know, just her behavior. So she gets real uh, <laughs> stage shy when a stage isn't even involved. So I don't know. Right. Right. But yeah, no, that's uh, that's exciting times. It's that time of year. You've got all the Christmas stuff coming up. Um, mm-hmm. Bracing for the holidays. We're past the. We didn't get to preview the Virginia episode last week. We should call that out. And we, you know, life got in the way, um, as it often does in a holiday week. Um, but we both probably. I, I don't know. I I picked. I had Virginia Tech winning the game. Oh, I, sure. I had a 39-38 prediction win, which yeah, it's eh, fairly close. I'm not, I'm not picking UVA in that game. Um, and there was something about JC price and it just felt like, you know, even though it was obviously tough, I mean, Virginia's defense has been so bad this year um, that even an offense as stagnant as ours. And even with a uh, play callers and as inept as uh, Cornelson, you figured we'd find our way into the end zone enough to win the game. And lo and behold, uh, even though, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit, we're going to start, we're going to start off the show with some different, coaching news oh wait well there's other coaching news <laughs> yeah yeah no there is but yeah we're going to talk plenty about mr uh mr cornhead in a few minutes but uh brent pry is the new head coach of virginia tech football so wasn't uh wasn't a name that was really on the radar i think for most of Hokie nation um probably didn't know who brent pry was this time a week ago that'd be fair um you know, if you if you watch the Big Ten, you probably knew he was the the Big Ten or the uh, Penn State defensive coordinator, uh, but probably didn't know much more outside of that. I mean, Whit Babcock didn't even know uh, Brent Pry was a GA here. You know, so he was informed of that uh, in the in the process, and part of the reasons he he approached him as uh, as coach. But uh, before um, kind of diving in to um, you know, trying to learn about Brent Pry. What was your initial reaction to the hire? 
you're just boom, like Brent Price, the head coach. You see the tweet come across, news alert, whatever it was. What was what was the initial reaction? So there's a scene in Step Brothers where I can't remember if Shark Week gets turned off or what triggers this scene, but he basically says, you know, this house is like a prison on planet, you know, BS. And that sort of tantrum was similar to my first reaction. Um, I think I got in my head that we were going to make more of a splash higher than that. Um, and I hadn't heard a lot about Brett Pry. I mean, I know his name floated around probably about five days before the announcement. Maybe it was a tweet from ESPN or someone associated with ESPN that said he was starting to hear Brent Pry's name quite a bit. Um, and I just, I, I couldn't imagine it. I couldn't fathom it at the time. So I didn't look a whole lot into him. Um, so my first initial was, you know, I was a little bit unhappy for the first five minutes and I calmed down, took a second to look things over, read through the resume, more importantly, hopped over to the Penn state message boards. And I mean, you would have thought someone had passed away as somber and as upset as those folks were to lose him. Um, and I think that is the first time in recorded human history that a team's message board was sad to see a coordinator go of any kind. And to me, the, the things that they were saying about Brent Pry weren't just surface level. Oh, we've had a great defense. It was, oh, what a loss to our recruiting. What a loss as a human being. What an amazing guy Brent Pry is. Everything about their defense, obviously, they mentioned how many times the defense had bailed them out over the past four or five years when their offenses weren't so hot. Um, but I looked into that, looked into some of his connections. Um, when I read a little bit more into how integral he was in Penn State's recruiting, uh, given how badly they've worn us out in our own state, I felt like I was a pretty good thing. And by the end of about 30 minutes of research and watching a couple of YouTube videos, I'm a Pry guy. I love Brent Pry. And I can see why Witt decided to go with him for many reasons, but one, and then I'll kick it back to you. This is the biggest thing to me is that Justin Fuente never felt like a fit. Virginia Tech seemed like a, do a job to Justin Fuente, and there's nothing wrong with that. But this means more to Brent Pry, and you can see it, and it comes off as very genuine, especially in the press conference. This feels like a fit, not just from a personal character personality, but a fit to the callback of the style of play that got us to where we were as a program. And I think that was, that was genius. Um, that was a great yeah. hire. And it took stones from Witt because Witt probably knew hiring Brent Pry wasn't going to go over great with the Virginia Tech fan base because a lot of us, I mean, let's be honest, we don't know a lot about him. And we were hearing rumors of Matt Campbell and Bill O'Brien. Thank the Lord that didn't happen. Um, but it was Brent Fry, yeah. and that took a lot of stones. So good on yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think like initial reaction is always like, especially when he came to this point. It was uh, it was Monday morning we found out, or Tuesday morning, right, mm -hmm. where the news broke, um, and so nobody knew what was going to happen in the the coaching world in college football. But I mean, it's absolutely exploded, you know. Yes. So you. You had a bunch of jobs open anyways. You had the LSU job open, USC, Florida, Washington, Virginia Tech, um, a few others, uh, TCU. So, I mean, pretty big jobs open. And then Lincoln Riley says he's going to USC, so Oklahoma pops open. And then out of nowhere, Brian Kelly leaves Notre Dame um, to go to LSU, which was crazy. And then, you know, in between, you've got like Matt Campbell rumors, you've got, you know, Bill O'Brien. Is that why Virginia Tech hasn't announced yet? Are they waiting for, you know, a coordinator at a playoff school to finish? Like we'd imagine it's not a head coach. So, I mean, there's all these scenarios running through your mind. And then when you finally see the name, it's like, oh, well, that guy wasn't on our list. Um, and at this whole time, I thought it would be a guy who wasn't on the list. Um, and I didn't know who that guy would be. And I, I was never expecting a Matt Campbell-ish type of hire. Right. Um, I thought we could do it if we wanted to or if we were able to sway a guy like that. But, you know, I, I thought this entire time, the way that Witt keeps things so close to the vest, you know, the names you were hearing, it's all speculation. People are like, well, Witt said this and Witt said that. Witt didn't give you a – he didn't give you a, a – 
crumb of a clue because that's how he operates. Um, so I wasn't super surprised to see it come off the list. I mean, I wasn't like jumping up and down when it was named Brent Pry. I wasn't enraged. Um, and the first thing I started doing is I had already kind of looked into him a little bit because you started hearing his name um, Sunday night into Monday. And I mean, the, the big thing that really stood out to me, you know, yeah, the, the tie to Virginia Tech is interesting as a graduate assistant. I, I like that tie into Beamer and, and Foster. Um, I thought that was definitely very interesting, but I mean, the dude puts together some pretty rock solid defenses. Yeah. Um, and so that was the first thing that kind of stood out to me where it felt like the hire was uh, trying to go back to the core of what uh, Virginia Tech football was built on, which was right. defense, um, more kind of a physical brand of football, more. We, we don't know what the office is going to look like, but back in the day, it was strong rushing offense, controlled the clock play really good defense, win football games. Um, and I mean, now that we've seen him speak, um, we've seen others come out in support of him. I mean, like you said, overwhelming support. I agree. Support's me, a good thing. Battling a, uh, battling a cough here. Overwhelming support from the Penn State community, from James Franklin. Yeah. Um, from former players, from NFL players, guys like Micah Parsons is for, you know, anybody who's paying attention to the NFL first round pick, probably going to win defensive rookie of the year in the NFL. Yep. Um, had very, uh, not like angry things to say, like, I can't believe he's leaving, blah, 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 but like wishing him the best essentially. And yeah. um, I, I think it's, it's interesting because it's similar to how you would expect a fan base to react if like a Brent Venables were to leave Clemson or if Bud Foster ever took a head coaching job. And it Very feels similar. a lot, it feels a lot like his relationship with James Franklin was a lot like Bud Foster's relationship with Frank Beamer to where he had it good. Right. Yeah. Like if you look at Penn state over the last, look at them over the last eight years, but you can look at the last five years, they've had five different offense coordinators, you know, they haven't been great on the offensive side of the ball. James Franklin's an offensive guy, whatever that reason is. But you look at the defense, and the defense hasn't ranked outside of the top 40 in his entire tenure there as far as yards allowed. And so they could always rely on that defense. That defense was always keeping them in games, and it was really about the offense that's kind of held Penn State back over the last few years. But he had such a good situation there. He could be picky when it came to the job and there was job openings that he could have taken a couple years ago, back when yeah. you look at the Louisiana, Louisiana, Louisiana. job in 2018, yep. which is where Billy Napier was Georgia Southern. Um, I think offered him Georgia Southern where he used to coach, mm -hmm. um, but just something about it wasn't, wasn't pulling him to it. And the quote that I liked, I don't, I don't have it written down here. I don't think, but you know, he mentioned like, I didn't want to be the head coach at UVA, which you, you know the way to our hearts. Yeah, playing um, to the crowd, baby. He mentioned somebody else in like Northwestern, but he's like, you asked me if I wanted to be the head coach of Virginia Tech. It's like, yeah, that's somewhere I'd want to be, the football coach at or the head coach. And hearing him in the, the press conference today and how like choked up he was getting about uh, Frank Beamer and Bud Foster and, you know, details came out about how he got on as a GA and, how he was knocking down Billy Hyde's door, just, you know, 50, hundred calls, whatever it was. And, you know, went to high school in Lexington, wanted to play football at Virginia tech, wasn't good enough, went elsewhere, played football, got hurt, ends up going to, you know, coach with his dad for two years. That's where he meets James Franklin. And then full circle, he's looking for the GA job and his dad had coached Brian Steinspring in high school. And that's how he knows Brian Steinspring. And so there's a relationship there. So right. really uh, interesting to kind of learn about that. And it's, to me, going full circle back to the initial reaction, like that's why you can't judge a book by its cover, right? right. Because on the cover of that book, Brent Pry doesn't look like there's any kind of emotional connection to Virginia Tech or it's like, okay, he's had good success at Penn State. You know, he's jumped around. He's had good experience. Oh, he, he had a little GA opportunity, but it was more than just a GA opportunity, right? Right. Like, he went to high school in, you know, I'm not going to say the Blacksburg area, but Lexington. 
Um, you know, he had that familiarity with the program. He was obviously like very uh, influenced by Beamer and Foster. And so um, the more you kind of hear about it, the more you hear him talk, uh, I mean, the greater you should feel about um, what the program means to him, what this place means to him. Um, and I think the other thing is too, that you shouldn't overlook, you know, he was here from 95 to 97, 98 or something, you know, that's when Virginia tech was rising. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was here for that 95 season. That 95 season is when Virginia tech got put on the map, right? You know, it had good seasons in, in 93 and 94, but 95 is when they, they beat Miami, right? They go to the sugar bowl. They beat Texas. They didn't beat and, Miami. They whipped Miami's tail. Right. And so it's, it just is what it is. Um, so I think that's interesting to see kind of like he was here when it got going. Now we're in this kind of a rut and he kind of knows what it takes. And he talked about that from a recruiting standpoint, from the pride that, you know, guys that went to high school in Virginia that they have at, at this program and why Beamer wanted to focus on Virginia and having their parents close and being drivable because it's, yeah, you know, it's tough when you're making that transition. So it just felt like he was the guy that really gets it. Um, I feel super good about uh, his recruiting prowess and his background and the guys that he's recruited himself, but also just kind of knowing how it's done. I mean, you can kind of say what you want about James Franklin, whether you like him or not, but he's a great recruiter. Um, and so kind of yeah. bringing that demeanor to Virginia Tech is something that's been uh, been lacking. And I mean, it was lacking in the Fuente era, but you could probably say it was lacking a little bit towards the end of the Beamer era to where sure maybe could. it was the staff that got complacent, um, got older. Um, they probably just weren't weren't grinding like like they used to or like they should have been. Um, not that there wasn't talent at the end of the Beamer era, um, but, you know, I think there's, there's certain things that you miss out on when, when you get complacent, like, like it appears that they did. So, I mean, we should be stoked about the higher um, great background like this year alone. Penn State was ranked seventh nationally in scoring defense, 11th in yards per play. He's been the standalone primary DC for six years. He first two years, he was the co-defensive coordinator. You know, he was part of a Vanderbilt program that, won three straight or got to three straight bowl games, which at Vanderbilt is almost impossible to do. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things to be excited about. Really the only box he didn't check was the head coaching box. And, you know, I, you know, it's, it's good to have head coaching experience, but again, it's like, you don't get that experience unless you get it. And he had been at a power five level or a power five school now for, I don't know if better part of uh, 11, 12 years, if you date back to the sec and the yeah. Penn state. So it's like, I mean, those are uh big time conferences, big time schools. So there's no doubt in my mind. He, uh, he's going to be set up for, for success. Yeah. And another thing you hit on, which I think is important. Another one of those boxes, I think actual head coaching experience may be a bit overrated. I mean, we've seen so many good coordinators come into these head coaching roles and absolutely kill it. And we've seen so many head coaches come up from the G5 level to the P5 level or P5 to P5, making similarly lateral moves and falling flat on their face. So I'm not sure how much of an indicator being a coordinator is and translating over to a head coach. My biggest thing in the search was I wanted somebody with experience at a big boy power five football school, not necessarily someone who had been experienced at the G5 level, but hadn't seen how it's done at the higher levels of the P5, which is more important to me. I'd rather have a coordinator experienced at that level than take a head coach who's killing it at G5, who's got little to no big time power five experience. Because, and, and that's just not a Fuente thing. Although obviously recency bias, one of Fuente's biggest issues to me is that he was not familiar with how to run a program at the power five level at the middle to upper levels of the power five level. And I think that was one of those things where, yeah, Fuente was the sexy hire at the time, but you go back and see all these mistakes he made and they were just so elementary, like sticking with Brad Cornelson in the face of everything that told you you should let go. The lack of an emphasis on recruiting, the not understanding how to build a system to recruit effectively, the lack of, you know, regional ties to the area I thought was a big deal. 
And we're crossing off so many of these boxes that I felt really let Fuente down with a hire that I think reinforces everything almost that we complained about down to the most superficial level, which is this is the right personality for Virginia Tech at this time. We couldn't do another Justin Fuente rightly or wrongly, and this is not me trashing Justin, but Justin had a personality that was very reserved, very much an introvert, and I'm just not so sure that that's a fit at Virginia Tech. But you see Brent Pry basically a ball of energy bouncing up to the podium. He, he's affable. He seems very kind. He's warm. That's the kind of leader Virginia Tech needs. And you go through all of these things, checking the boxes, regional recruiter, big-time Power 5 experience, Seems to have the right character if you go off what everybody else is saying. Seems to have the right personality. You can see how Brent Pry can totally sell the university on the recruiting trail because you can tell, you can tell, I don't know why. You can I tell. Accent, I don't know why I have these accent issues. Um, but you can tell how much Virginia Tech means <laughs> to him. And it's not a superficial, hey, I'm going to tell you what you want to hear at the press conference. I mean, you can hear him when he's getting emotional talking about Virginia Tech and how much this program means to him. You can tell he gets it. And more than anything, this broad, vague term of having a coach that gets it is so important and makes me feel so excited for the potential at this university. Throw away the fact that our defense should look great in the future with Brent Pry, bringing back a more aggressive style bringing back some great linebacker play. I fully expect all those things. More importantly, everything else aside, golly day, what a great fit. And, you know, I never would have expected that when I was digging into Brent Pry before. But as soon as I hit the YouTubes, I'm telling you, I mean, I texted you guys as soon as I got done with like a five-minute YouTube video. I was like, all right, I'm a Pry guy now. It completely sold me when I saw that personality. Um, Yeah. You know, and, and just the fact, I mean, when you hear these Penn State people talk about how integral he was in setting up the system, specifically the recruiting system at Penn State, if that doesn't fire you up, I'm not sure you have a pulse. Because if you've not been paying attention, Penn State just walks down here and takes the cream of the crop and, and goes back up north. And you talk about two schools that are very similar from a fan base standpoint, from a college town standpoint, from just a general vibe standpoint, Penn State, Virginia Tech, very similar programs. So. Yeah. This is, and this is such a good fit, man, and I am so pumped. So pumped. He talked, uh, he talked a little bit about recruiting uh, in, the, in the presser today, and it was very clear that Penn State's got a much different approach to recruiting than Virginia Tech does. Oh, yeah, relationships, um, man. Well, relationships. He also said that they've got a, a guy whose full-time job is to monitor who's coming into the portal and whether yeah. or not that they should approach said player, and if they do – they give that to the positional coaches for them to go out and basically explore it further. Um, So, you know, that's interesting. I think, you know, if we talk about uh, the coaching staff right now, which largely needs to be put together, uh, JC Price is is retained. He's going to be the associate head coach and uh, defensive line coach. Love it. um, Which, you know, was a (laughs) instant win. Um, uh, Preeson Prelu is back as director of player personnel, which I was uh, totally fine with as well. So of those are those two guys have been out recruiting and trying to uh, keep this class together. Uh, and he did hire uh, the head coach from Savannah State, Sean Quinn. Uh, we don't know what role he's going to play on the defensive staff, but he is going to be on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. Um, and, and basically think- touch on Quinn real quick for those that don't know. Quinn took over an absolutely hapless Savannah State football program, didn't have a weight room, had nothing in regards to facilities, a constantly losing HBCU program. I think he was making eighty dollars to $90,000 a year, didn't have a contract, was basically paid just like a janitor or an admin person um, at Savannah State, goes down there, turns them into an absolute winner. Um, and I think his last record there was eight and two. Uh, you may be able to correct me if I'm wrong there, but you read into Quinn and it is immediately obvious from people in the coaching circles and their opinions on that guy, what type of coach he is. Um, and clearly with that being such a quick hire, Pry and Quinn must have a very strong relationship because it seems like he texted him as soon as he got the job and said, basically pack your bags. Um, and, and I guess early on, it seems he'd be a natural fit as sort of a linebackers coach. But I think this guy is going to be a relatable, 
dynamite recruiter, anybody that gets hired on the defensive side of the ball, you, you got my full faith, do whatever you want. Pry, Pry's got full reign. I'm not going to question anybody, any coach that he think is worth his salt on that side of the ball, especially if it is at that linebacker coach position. But people should be very excited for Quinn. I, I saw a lot of people saying, oh, so now we're taking, you know, an HBCU head coach and, you know, isn't he going to be out of his league? And that's nonsense. That's nonsense. Yeah, no, but nobody wins at Savannah State. Too. Yeah, they did. Yeah. They did. So it's not like he's never coached. Like, no. No, if your position coaches, you want them to coach technically sound football. You want them to understand what you're doing on that side of the ball. More importantly, you want them to be able to recruit and relate to players. And it seems like this, this, that is his strength. Now, was he recruiting a ton of five-star players at Savannah State? No, he's not Deion Sanders, okay? But he's got a record of recruiting well, relating well. You hear the guy talk. You can hear it in his voice, in his interviews. I'm very, very excited. I think that's a low-key, very underrated hire. Um, and I think Hokies are going to grow to love that guy a whole lot too. But uh, yeah, I thought that was, a, that was a great, great pickup. And clearly, must have been the first person on his mind because that was immediate. And did you get any confirmation? Was Ryan Smith retained or not yet? Uh, I think it's rumored, um, which I think he's probably the only guy left on the staff that has the chance of sticking on. Yeah. Um, he was the GA at, I believe, Penn State. Penn State. Yep. Um, while uh, Pry was there. So there is a connection there. I mean, I think uh, Ryan Smith is well regarded in the industry as well. So um, he's been doing a nice job from a recruiting standpoint. Yep. Um, he's got a pretty good reputation as a positional coach. So I would, I would definitely not be surprised to see Ryan Smith retained, but I doubt there's anybody else on the staff that we would retain there. There is a name that uh, I think may come back and that's Brian Steinspring. Oh um, buddy. I would love, and I mean, don't, I would love that. I it, Brian Steinspring is like this polarizing figure in Virginia tech football. But if you know anything about Brian Steinspring, you know that he's like a just knockout stud, probably one of the best recruiters in, college football the best recruiter ever at virginia tech and i'm telling you if you can get a guy that experience with those kind of relationships in this state as your recruiting coordinator i'm all for it please do not let his perceived underperformance as an offensive coordinator sway your opinion if we do hire brian steinspring brian steinspring is a great positional coach and more importantly for this recruiting right now, for this program, I couldn't imagine a better recruiting director to help rebuild some bridges that have been burned. Yeah. And so could definitely see him in a role like that, or maybe even as a positional coach with the heavy, be a great tight end coach. recruiting. Right. So I think um, with Steinspring, we'll see. The other thing to mention here is we'll get to salaries in a second, but uh, Virginia Tech's pool of money has gone up 50% to what it was supposed to be for Fuente in 22, which means they've got 5.5 million for staffing outside of what prize making. Yeah. And then they've got an additional 2.5, I believe. That's Uh, right. uh, uh, What do you call it? Staff. That's not coaching basically support. Yeah. They've got an additional 2.25 for support staff. So their money pool is now number two in the ACC. That's huge. When you add up coaching salaries and support staff, second behind only Clemson, and it's only behind by, if you take Dabo's salary out of it, it's only behind by about $300,000. Right. And so that puts us ahead of Florida State, which should, that should resonate regardless of the product of the field in Tallahassee. And Miami. And Miami, right. So, I mean, so, that's, that's huge commitment from the administrative level, which is great when you're talking about setting up a coach to in North Carolina. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. Mac Brown. I, we'll talk about the NCC. Get out of our state. Later. Mac. Yeah. <laughs> you're done. You're done. Look, Brent, Brent Pry shows up wearing what he was wearing when he get, when he got off that plane. I mean, dude just oozes football guy. Like it, he comes out dressed like that. Every other euphemism he uses ends in tails. I mean, 
he's going to be unstoppable. He's going to be unstoppable. I can't wait. Um, but yeah, Mac, we, we got to do something about North Carolina encroaching. And I, I clearly with that staff, the gauntlet has been laid down on intent and how serious we are about getting this football program back to where it needs to be. So from the top down, there's one goal. And we made a hire that completely aligns with that goal, you know, and all of this synergy right now is just making me so excited. One to see the staff that's going to be named. Cause I'm excited. We got a blank slate on offense, man. I mean, we can, we can talk about different offenses and what you would like to see. I think we're going to be somewhat pass heavy in the RPO like Penn state had been um, with Soraka and all those other offensive coordinators. I mean, they had about six of them in the past four years, I feel like. And, and, you know, they run the co-OC systems and the co-DC systems, and there's so many people he could pull from. But the fact that we're talking about a blank slate here, and one quote from the press conference I really like because he was questioned on the offensive side of the ball, what style he wanted to run. He mentioned explosiveness. He mentioned efficiency. But I thought one cheeky quote that he had in there was, you know, he wanted a, an offense that was hard to prepare for from the defensive side of the football, and he knows what those look like. And I have full faith in him that he absolutely does know what offenses are hard to prepare for. And if he could get us one that is at least somewhat creative and attempts to be explosive every now and then, I will be a happy man. I wonder if he was uh, interviewed um, as far as like, hey, take a look at this Virginia Tech offense and tell me if you think it's uh, difficult to prepare for or not. Oh, that was man. where my head went to with, with that. Um, prize deal is six years, 27 and a half million annual salary of 4 million. It's kind of a weird structure. I don't fully understand it because I think it's like a 500,000 base. And then there's the rest is, um, what do you call it? Incentives. Incentive, incentive based. Um, so, you know, we'll see. That was the inverse of what I would have expected, but yeah, I thought that was a little strange. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure most of it's just like, you have oh, yeah. to get through the spring game. Right. You know? Take a, take a breath on the sideline. There you go. You got $25,000. Right. Um, I'm sure it is too. I'm sure it is too. Uh, so, not sure. Not sure why, but uh, you know, that's a, that's a tolerable salary. It's you're not handcuffing yourself. You're not creating problems for yourself down the road. And in today's football world with some of the salaries we've seen, I'm very happy to have a coach with this salary with this kind of budget for support staff and uh, coaching hires. Yeah. Um, it's a good, good place to be. So we'll see what happens there. I think the uh, big thing with recruiting, we've talked about a little bit, you know, um, well-respected, who he's going to put in those support staff roles, who he's going to bring on campus, um, and basically how they're going to reshape the class. Like they're going to have scholarships come available. Unfortunately, uh, Tavion Robinson entered the portal today, um, right after the press conference. So he was set to be wide receiver one, um, and he uh, he is departing the program. Trey Turner announced he's leaving for the NFL draft. Um, there's been some lower profile announcements, you know, like a Knox Kadem. Um, we had an offensive lineman uh, a few weeks ago. So, you know, there's um, there's going to be more attrition. That's just what happens in these. Uh, coaching changes. Um, but if you've paid attention, the transfer portal is on fire right now. I mean, with oh, the yeah. amount of big name coaches that have been uh, leaving and changing roles, like it's, it's ripe. So um, probably mentioned that he's screenshotting entries, I think is what he said. Um, and, you know, they're going to do their best to, to bring in who they think needs to fit. So I, I would expect uh, a heavy emphasis on the portal um, going into uh, the, this early signing period and, um, you know, as, as they're trying to reshape the roster and, and we'll see who else kind of leaves or at least for the NFL. So that's kind of, that's all I had for the, for the coach there, but excited about the future. I think it's, uh, it's going to be a big change. Um, looking forward to some of the other changes that, uh, that he implemented. Yeah, I mean, this is ex as excited as I've been for Hokie football uh, in four years, three or four years, quite honestly. Um, and I guess until you experience this kind of feeling again, you forget how far you've sunk um, in regards to positivity and excitement, just general 
feeling like your football team is headed in the right direction for the first time in three or four years. I do. I can genuinely say without a hint of insincerity that I think Hokie football is in the right hands um, and should be for the foreseeable future. And for that, we can all be thankful. Yeah. Yeah. Now you feel, uh, you feel good about it right now, which is obviously easy to do after a new hire. Um, but does feel Mike youngish to me. Um, but we just have to see it play out. So football is yeah. a different monster than basketball. It's harder to flip in a, in a short period of time, uh, just because there's so many more players and, you know, it's a much more physical game and, um, it's, it's about depth and execution and having those uh, enough guys to kind of roll in and scheme and making sure yeah. you've got the right guys. So, you know, we'll see, I think uh, patience is key. I think the, the thing to consider is, you know, you've had two other changes in the coastal from a head coaching standpoint, which uh, neither of those positions are filled at this point. Um, one of those schools is not even going to be competitive. Uh, you've got Miami down there um, who, uh, seems to have a quarterback, uh, but a lot of questions mark question marks everywhere else. And then you got a pit team that's loaded with seniors that is going to look very, very different next year. So uh, the coastal is very much uh, up for grabs. We don't know if Sam Howell's coming back, um, but there's there's no way to say kind of what Virginia Tech's chances are at this point because the roster is way too much in uh, in flux right now. But True. it's uh, it's not like uh, the ACC is going to be this. Uh, you know, formidable dragon yeah. and we should expect just a, an abysmal season next year. I, th I think yeah. there's to be determined. Uh, there's still a lot to unfold here over the next couple of months. So we'll kind of see what happens. Uh, but let's jump into the UVA real recap real quick. And I mean, we, we all watch the game, right? So we don't have to go into to tremendous details here, but a few things I want to hit on. So you know, like we said earlier, 17th out of 18 now for the Hokies. Uh, they did get back to bowl eligibility, which is good. Sounds like sounds like leaning towards the pinstripe bowl, which is cool. I don't think we've played there before. I would love it. Um, and uh, it's a Yankee stadium in uh, New York, obviously. So I think it's a Big Ten opponent. So they're talking Purdue or maybe even Penn State, which would be interesting. <laughs> be great, um, yeah. <laughs> but uh you know we'll see um we'll see what happens there uh the game itself uh just it was it was a it was a weird game you know um game that had a lot of swings i think from a defensive perspective um i was so frustrated with the first half um it was a defense that it was it was getting uh, out physical. Um, there was it seemed like a lack of effort at times, yeah. um, just on certain plays. Like I'm not going to say it was just like on every play, but certain effort plays to where, you know, maybe you could go for a tackle and it, you pull up. Um, Brendan Armstrong ran over three of our players into the end zone. Pathetic. That was a low point for me. But it was it was a pretty porous defensive performance in the first half. But you know they came out in the second half, held UVA to three points. There was a Brendan Armstrong injury in there, which I think did hamper him. Um, but that being said, they were struggling to move the ball before that happened, anyways. Um, so you got to give it to the defense there because they played really bad in the first half. Um, I think on the offensive side of the ball, Tim. I mean. We didn't we didn't talk about the the Miami game because we we missed last week's show, <clears throat> but it was the same problem that stopped them from coming back in the Miami game, yeah. which is where if you think about the Miami game, Connor Blumberg comes in, he provides a spark for two or three drives, whatever it was, throws the two touchdown passes, which you know were short were short passes, um, but was providing the spark with his legs, got the Hobies back in the game. Hokies have a shot and then all of a sudden Virginia Tech's in a situation where they have to throw the football and Connor Blumberg's still in the game and then Connor Blumberg doesn't come out of the game and Connor Blumberg is unable to make plays with his arm when he needs to and it's like why didn't they go back to Braxton Burmeister 
And then you flash forward to the Virginia Tech, Virginia game. And Burmeister's having a great game. He's playing fantastic, making a lot of plays with his legs. Needs to make a throw, they'll make a throw. And they keep throwing in Blumrick in key situations, and he wasn't having the success on the ground that he was in that Miami game. And it was frustrating. But then when the game's on the line, you know, you had the Jordan Williams sack on Armstrong. Ball goes to the look like the one yard line. I was praying it was on the one. They called it a safety. <laughs> and it's 29 24. And then UVA kicks the onside kick. And Virginia Tech recovers. So they're past the 50. There's three minutes, seven seconds left in the game. You're feeling pretty good, right? You're like, okay, all Virginia Tech has to do is make them use their timeouts, run the football, you know, hopefully get a first down and just run out this clock, win the game 29 24. But instead, no. We want to get cute. So they put in Connor Blumrick on, I think, second down. That's correct. They run a fake reverse pitch. And then he pulls a Mark Sanchez butt fumble by running into his offensive lineman and fumbling. And UVA recovers with basically just under three minutes left in the game. And you're thinking at that point, wow. We're back to the coaches blowing the football game for a fourth time this season. That's right. Virginia Tech is going to lose a game that they have no business losing because the offensive coordinator doesn't know how to manage personnel. And I wanted to literally put my head through a wall. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where I'm never a fan of rotating quarterbacks but if you're going to do it, you need to do it in a way that's somewhat effective, like uh, UNC with Marquise Williams and can't remember the other feller's name. Um, that was somewhat effective. Uh, but when you talk about what we were doing, we were taking Braxton Burmeister out of the game when he would begin to find a rhythm to put Blumrick in the game and become a predictable one-dimensional offense where we weren't having success running the ball. And throughout the game, my blood pressure just kept rising as we just decided that we were going to be stubborn as jackasses and keep trotting out that same game plan. And that was the climax of all those feelings when we had that, the fake reverse is bad enough, but obviously with Bulmark in the game, you had those frustrations with, you know, him being trotted out so often. And you had those same feelings where yes, Coaches, offensive coordinators are going to lose us another one here. And that frustration was going to be too much to take if the subsequent events didn't happen in the manner that they did, because there was no reason that we should have been in that position. None. No, no. And it was, it was just like, you know, I was um, talking trying, trying to talk to my wife about the situation, which, you know, there was nobody else to talk to. Right. Right. Um, And I was just taking out my core in frustration and just, I I just cannot, he cannot be gone fast enough because if he was, if he was literally going to be the reason that they blew the game, the game was locked up. Yeah. Okay. Mm, I, I just get, I, I'm still frustrated thinking about it. Oh, I'm, I'm mad How again. stupid the play call was. And I don't even blame Blumrick for it. Yeah, he shouldn't have fumbled. No, it's not Blumrick's fault, man. It was just a stupid, stupid play call. Shouldn't but it wasn't as position. stupid as a play call we saw by the other team. Well, no, there was another hokey play call that we need to shout out to that was even more stupid than that one, which was a quarterback sneak on third and three. Um, third that and wasn't even a quarterback two, sneak. That was a oh, I'm going to try and catch him off guard. Oh, snap the ball. <laughs> it was God. awful. That was, that was a train wreck. But no, they all pale in comparison to what the former coach of UVA decided to draw up in the dirt Yeah, for the game-winning play. So UVA gets the Terrible. ball to the 11 with just under two minutes left. And then they go into, we need to kill the clock which yes and no, you do, but you're also down five points. You need to also need to score. Right. 
You need to score Screw a touchdown. Screw the clock at that point. Um, and then, I mean, literally, I don't know what's worse is if it was the play call or the fact that Bronco was literally defending it, like almost to an embarrassing fashion after was, the game. It was that. It was the defiance, I think, in the post game. Yeah. Because what's your yeah. optimal scenario here? Like, you drew this up. Your optimal scenario is that you are getting one of the slowest players on your, the football field for you at the time, the ball, six to seven yards behind the line of scrimmage in space. Well, yeah. Like, so if you didn't see the play, it's third and nine. Okay. UBA could get a timeout. They could get a first down. They could still get a first down. I think it was like third and nine on the 11th. Yeah. They throw a lateral pass. First off, Armstrong rolls right. If he just runs, he's got a minimum oh, yeah. five-yard gain. At least. Minimum. He, he probably picks up a first down, maybe scores. Okay? Well, he turns around and laterals the ball, essentially. He throws it across the field behind him. So it's a lateral. To his six-foot-seven, 295-pound offensive tackle. Almighty, who would have needed to run 14 yards to just get back to where it would have been a first down. So it's third and nine. You then throw it five yards behind the line of scrimmage to your six foot seven, 295 pound offensive tackle, who then gets tackled for a five yard loss, sets up a fourth and 13, and Virginia Tech breaks up the pass in the end zone and wins the game. And then it's not just the play call. Bronco, he he had multiple quotes about the game. The one that stood out to me, and I quote, they played it really well. (laughs) (laughs) And you have to be disciplined to play the play well. And they were there, and they made a nice play. That's right, baby. Come on. What do you have to be disciplined about, Bronco? You've got a bunch of defenders who are already on that side of the field. Well, no, they're they're going to get they're going to get blown right. by by a six foot seven, two hundred ninety five pound off the that, that, That's the problem with the call, like, right? I understand your defense can't tackle, and I mean Virginia Tech's tackling not so great, but it's better than yours. And he said multiple times that it works in practice. Oh, well, boy, that I shows you does. how bad your defense is right, if I that plays working. Here's the thing to me that just mystified. I have so many like questions about the inner workings of this play, but this one I can't figure out. Why the hell did they throw a lateral? Wouldn't you try to get a little more vertical on that route? Seeing as you got an offensive lineman who can't run very effectively, wouldn't you try to get a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage? Instead, they ran a lateral like they were about to set up the old offensive tackle pass to the end zone. And to me, I'm just sitting here, there's so much wrong with this play. It it had to go through so many levels of checks and balances. Your wide receiver coach had to be like, yeah, it's a good play. Your head coach obviously was like, oh, boy, that's what works in practice all the time. And then your offensive line coach had to be like, boys, I think you're on to something. So many no, well, here, here's what happened. Balance. It's like, oh, you know, you know what? They ran that Philly special on us earlier. We're gonna we're gonna hit them with the the Wahoo Wah special, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. They're not gonna see this coming. God, train wreck of what? Ball. I mean, honestly, train wreck like, of if, and if you really want to get that play in there, if you really just want to try it out in the game, not then. You don't do it on third and nine with a minute left when you're down five on your own on the opponent's 11 yard line with Brennan Armstrong as your quarterback. I I, I can't, I I can't imagine. I can't imagine the pain. I I, I mean, UVA fans must've felt there because. Oh man. I mean, let's be honest. It hasn't been great sledding for Virginia Tech football here over the last few years, but we at least don't have our superior (laughs) beating us 17 out of 18 times. And we've got a great chance to win the game. And our head coach draws that up. I don't know how I would have reacted. Poetry. The the Cornelson call that we've talked about was 
awful. Oh, it was bad. But this is on this is in a different stratosphere. I tweeted almost immediately from our account that I think that is the worst play call I've ever seen. And that is that is an accurate quote. I still stand by. Especially I cannot like recall situationally. That's what I mean. The whole thing is a package. Everything about it is bad. But the, the situation is almost mystifyingly bad. You've got a quarterback that set records who is on that drive looking unstoppable. Yeah, he, he's finally come to life in the second half. Right. And you decide to take the ball out of his hands because a lateral is a lateral. I mean, that's nothing. You're asking him to do nothing on that play. It wasn't just a lateral. It was all the oh, way. It was the a field. hell of a lateral. I mean, it, it was, was like yeah. it was like a 35 yard lateral. Yeah. I mean, it, it looked like the Music City the field's Miracle. field's 53 yards long. What was, the, what was the tight end in the Music City Miracle? Threw it across the field. For, they, I knew you would know. They see, where else are you going to get that? What other <laughs> podcast are you going to get that on? Why check? With the freaking cannon, man. I mean, that's what it reminded me of. It was a long lateral. And then you saw it go to the offensive tackle, and like you almost just laughed immediately. Yeah. What are you doing? And, yeah, if you're a UVA fan, I mean – I joke about things like strokes and aneurysms and I shouldn't do that. Football gets me worked up, but I think I would have had a medical emergency. I think that would have been like, you could have put that on my tombstone, that that's what took me out. And everybody that went to the cemetery that day would have been like, yeah, I get that. I I can relate. If if only my team had done that, that could be me in that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that one. God, I'll never forget that. And you know, oh. to top it all off, right, we'll get to it later, but that happens to be basically the last, I mean, effectively the last offensive play. Like that's the last taste oh. of the Bronco Mendenhall era that UVA fans are going to have because nobody cares about the next play. It because It is. He's going to coach the bowl, but nobody nobody cares. <laughs> nobody gets it's a like, dude, crap. Your last play call. That's your oh, legacy. Your second to last play call. It's your legacy at, at UVA in the regular season was that God almighty. Unbelievable. I mean, that's the closest I've ever been to feeling bad for a UVA fan to be clear. I mean, I I laugh because it's so true because I think I probably would have had a medical emergency as well. Or yeah, I would have have, seen those guys. (laughs) I just beat the hell out their TV screen. <laughs> You're like, what's happened? I'm like, maybe, maybe that would would make me do that. Oh if man. that happened. I mean, I don't know if spontaneous human combustion is real, but if it is, I would have lit a flame. There is zero doubt in my mind that I would have been on fire with no source of accelerant immediately. Um, I couldn't imagine it. And I hope that I never have to experience something that dark. That was a dark timeline for UVA fans. And to top it all off, they already can't beat us. I mean, 17 out of 18, whatever the, whatever it's up to now. But to, to lose to our interim head coach in such a soul-sucking manner. You lose to the interim head coach, J.C. Price, by the way, who, I mean, just venom spews out of his body with hatred for UVA. Love it. Love it. He lights up a cigar on your field while Virginia Tech fans, who it looked like were there in the masses, it looked like they were the primary fan in attendance. Well, we need to talk about that. You could hear second. Let's Go Hokies chant. UVA, really? The attendance at that game? Did that, not blow, did that not blow you away? I mean, I wasn't surprised. No, with the football culture at that school has always been poor, yeah. but it's not been that poor. To where Scott Stadium is that empty yeah. for a rivalry game. That I mean, it was it, it felt like it was mostly tech fans there. It was. Yeah, I'm right. not just saying that, but it, it felt that way watching the game, seeing the colors in the stands, and then you allow another team to rush your field. And I mean, you could talk about rushing the field, and you know, you're six and six, they're six and six. Like it, it was just like again just adding to the darkness of the day for, for UVA fans. Like if that didn't set you off to bust your TV up, that maybe you just don't care that much. I don't know. But, How do you think rush the field police take it when an away team rushes the field? Oh, I think it depends on you're, you're rushing the field against a nine and three team. <laughs> Act like you've been there before, buddy. 
I can't stand those guys. They come out of the woodwork when anyone rushes the field. Savannah oh, yeah. State could beat the New York Giants, and there would be somebody on Twitter saying, oh, well, <laughs> rushing the well, that's, field. Well, that's Whatever. dangerous. I, yeah, somebody I could get hurt. Get out of here, man. Like, let, let people enjoy things. Let people have fun. Rushing the field, you've got multiple offensive linemen planting the flag there multiple times, taking videos. You've got people changing the name of Scott Stadium on Google Maps, the late stadium north. I mean, what a horrific week to be a UVA football fan for, for those of you that, that do exist. Um, Can we talk about another thing real quick? Shout out yes. to the flags. You got to make better flags for these guys to plan. I've seen about four different guys try to plant a flag at midfield for in college football for the past two. Well, weeks. it's not, it's not real ground. It's it all doesn't fake. Matter. We got to figure out how to plant it. I want to see that thing. I want to see that Virginia yeah. tech flag triumphantly blowing in the breeze, standing with no one else's support in the middle of that field. That's all I want. Yeah. If you're an inventor, invent me a flagpole for these cheerleaders that can penetrate college football stadiums, which according to our ground expert here is not real ground. Well, it's not, it's, it's not like your backyard. You just said it's not real ground. So, I mean, I'm just, I don't, yeah, it's, it's like know. artificial turf. Not I, a Scott I'm stadium, guessing, like, not a Scott stadium. That's, that's real turf. Yeah. But it's still like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I know mean, what the, the thing's not going into the ground. Like, it, I mean. it's, it's, it's definitely yeah. doesn't, doesn't behave like real. But at the same time, it's probably better if it doesn't have a sharp point on it. Just. Yeah. People, safety, safety. People around. Um, I wouldn't trust Brad I don't Hoffman know. with a uh, sharp pointed flag. It probably, it probably is like our backyard actually at Scott Field. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So tech, I mean, big day on the ground, 320 yards rushing. Uh, Blackshear won his ACC player of the week for the second time in three weeks. The week he didn't win, he had two carries, um, played the entire game. Uh, last week, career high, 169 yards rushing. So uh, interesting. But, yeah, I mean, um, good uh, good for the Hokies to get back in the win column. Um, I think when you look at uh, the ACC Coastal this year, it was not really Coastal chaos. Um, Pitt kind of led the entire way. Um, you had Miami start to kind of gain their footing once Van Dyke got in and got some games under his belt, but I think they finished six and six. You had, um, maybe they were better than that. Maybe a seven and five. You had UVA finish six and six. You had North Carolina finish six and six, which was the biggest disappointment out of anybody. And then you had Virginia Tech finish six and six. So, uh, not a lot of great football being played, but, um, you know, if you're UVA now, and we'll talk about the Bronco uh, announcement. So it sounds like Bronco uh, decided to resign. Doesn't sound like he was forced out. Um, we're not going to speculate on uh, the quotes. He had some really bizarre quotes. Um, he did. Yeah. So, you know, I'll, I'll let you kind of come to your own conclusions there, but he's going to finish the um, – Finished the bowl game, and then he is on his way out. So Virginia's going to have a new head coach. Um, be interested to see. I, I'll throw an early name at you, Gary Patterson. Could be an interesting fit. That seems like um, a move UVA would make. Yeah, could be an interesting fit. I don't know if it's a good fit, but it, it would be an interesting fit. Just an early name I'm throwing out. But either way, like Charles look at Huff. UVA's. Charles Huff, that would be a good hire for them. And I wouldn't want to go up against that guy in recruiting, but um, Charles Huff would be a good one. I, I think Gary Patterson is a weird, like you could see UVA making that move. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. I think UVA's roster is not in super great shape. If I'm being honest, like we don't know what Armstrong's going to do, if he's going to transfer or maybe he could go pro. I don't know. Um, but defensively they're a train wreck. Um, mm. they don't have a rushing game. Uh, their offensive line wasn't great. Uh, Anthony, Anthony Poindexter would be a good hire. Anthony Poindexter. Yeah. I, that name crossed my mind. Um, um, he's been rumored to be up for the defensive position with yeah. this, that with the Virginia tech staff, which I don't think will happen, but, no. um, yeah, we'll see what happens, but surprise, uh, surprise announcement today. I mean, honestly, like, and again, I'm, I'm not saying this to be um, 
you know, polarizing, but you know, you can go six and six and seven and five all day at UVA and keep your job forever. And I mean, that's where Bronco was headed with maybe like an eight and four season thrown in here and there for sure. Um, but honestly, like at this point, they should probably go ahead and build a statue of Bryce, uh, Bryce Perkins. Cause I'm not sure they're ever going to be Virginia Tech in football again. Um, that I didn't want to throw in there to be polarizing. So I just um, got to knock on wood real quick. Cause that's feeling like you're putting a big old jinx into the universe there. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, maybe uh, David Cutcliffe, who knows, but. Uh, oh no, that guy yeah. does not have an ounce of head coaching left in his body. That, that was, that was a joke. Okay. Um, I was going to say, I mean, he would be, he's, he would be a husk of a man up there. He has given everything. I could see Cutcliffe not being able to get away from the game, maybe to go in like an advisory role, sort of like a Jerry kill to another coach. Um, I could see that from him, but I just think, man, he's, he's worn out. Um, Speaking of the Duke opening though, I don't know if you've seen some of the rumors, Mm -mm. but there was a rumor that I saw that Jeff Munkin army's head coach was a potential candidate there. And I will meet him at the border of North Carolina for a fight. If he dares to bring the triple option back in the Atlantic coast conference, I'm not letting that happen. Not again. Not again. Those were dark days, Paul. That's probably a good fit at Duke though. It is because I mean, you get the most out of your talent with a system like that. You can't recruit very well. Your fourth best football program in your state at best. Jeff Munkin would make a lot of sense, but I'm not going to let it happen. So, yeah, it would add to coastal chaos for sure. Um, I would oh. hate to see the triple option back in the ACC. Oh, um, me too. God, I hated. I hated. Please that. no. <laughs> I did. Please no. It was so frustrating. Um, just not football. I'd like to watch, but, uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's kind of the recap for today. Real quick, Tim, what's uh, what's your prediction for the AC championship game? It's a good question. Um, Wake Forest, to me, Hartman just hasn't looked especially sharp the past few weeks. And I don't know if you've been watching. He's getting a lot of passes batted down. I think people are starting to kind of figure out how to best deal with that long mesh offense that Wake Forest has. And really the key to beating Hartman is keeping him in the pocket. I haven't been thrilled with some of the throws he's made. I think think he's been really inaccurate lately. Um, you know, I think a lot of his success comes as a product of that offense, which is a great system that Clawson runs. I think I'm going to go pit, man. I, I think Narduzzi yeah. is going to get it done. I just, I don't see Wake uh, with that defense, especially uh, against Kenny Pickett. Um, I don't Your see defense that. is weird, though. I mean, it'll look awful. And then it'll bow but up. Then they, they hold UVA to 17 points. Right. I think Dracovic was three of 11 passing last week. And they beat them 42 to 10. Jerkovic looked awful. We, so, we got we to have a discussion at another point about Jerkovic and how bad that injury messed up his ability to play the quarterback position. Yeah, I'm sure he I, was I just don't think he's ready. But, I mean, it was yeah. weird because he had the one pop game against Georgia Tech, but they have been awful, awful. to finish the season. Yeah. Um, but it's just throws but, that would be easy for Jerkovic to make were just wildly off the mark in the yeah, way that he's that clearly just, not himself. No. But and, yeah, and, I mean, I'm going pit too. Yeah, um, I think uh, I think what we're seeing with Wake is the level of competition has been better in November. Yeah, like they had a pretty run in the mill schedule there for for a while, and um, I mean they took advantage of it. And they're still a good offense. Uh, don't like their defense, um, but like I said, their defense can step up and make plays at times. It's just it can also allow 20 points in two minutes. You know, yeah. so it's. Yeah, it's uh, it is. What it I, is, th- I think they're opportunistic. I think they can get turnovers when they need to. That keeps them in a lot of games defensively. Um, but I, I do think more than anything, I think the Wake Forest offense is going to. Something has happened on tape that I think they've picked up on because Sam Hartman has had such a different time with the quarterback in play lately, especially when it comes to getting passes past the defensive line without getting tipped. He's been uncomfortable. He's looked inaccurate. It's just not the same Sam Hartman we were seeing five to six weeks ago. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling comfortable with the pit pick there. Um, and, and shout out to, obviously, when we're talking about last week's action, that NC State-UNC game was something else. I, I don't know that I yeah. can recall a game as drunk as that game was. Um, yeah, that game was drunk. 
completely drunk. And it just further, it delighted me so much, as you know, grew up an NC State fan. The only time I'm going to miss an NC State game is when the Hokies are playing. Um, But to see this season happen to Mac Brown was just one of the most heartwarming turns of of events that I've ever seen. And for it to be capped by that, (laughs) that display of ineptitude towards the end of the game. UNC didn't win a game on the road this year. No. Like, that's awful. Mm -hmm. That's awful. If you go back and look at the tape, there's a lot of issues on that UNC team that I don't think have come to a head yet, but there's a lot of players in that UNC secondary that don't like tackling and don't like giving max effort. And that was strange to see. The UNC secondary, I think, was probably the most disappointing part of their defense this year. Yeah. Um, It just didn't look very good. So Too talented uh, to look that bad. They've had a few transfers as well. Um, I'm if I had to put money on it, I'd say Sam Hill's probably going to go pro. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what UNC looks like next well, year. Sam Hill's an interesting case. I'm not so sure how friendly Longo's offense has been to him. He's almost regressed every year since yeah. his first year. Yeah. Um, I don't know if statistically that shows up, but there I bet was it would a, this year. There is a lot of separation that used to occur with those wide receivers that dried up uh, outside of downs this year that really, I, I think it, it made the game a lot less easy for Howell this year mm-hmm. and it made him more uncomfortable. And I don't know if that's Longo's offense. I mean, Longo has been the offensive coordinator the whole time. I don't know what's going on, but man, I'm not a fan of, of Longo's game plans and, when you see how much that offense has changed from prime Sam Howell years as a freshman, um, it's just not the same. It's not the same Sam Howell. And I don't know what he's going to do, but if I were him, I wouldn't risk another year in that offense. I think there's probably going to be some changes to, uh, to the coordinators there at, at UNC, maybe not on offense, but um, defense, I think Jay Babin's probably out, but um, he's got, he's got to be. So that's our show for today. Tim, any, uh, any final words? Yeah. Uh, is army Navy this week or next week? Do you know? I think it's next week. I think it's okay. after the championships. Make sure you watch that army Navy best football game every year. Um, championships this weekend, get your fill, enjoy college football because it's fleeting. We're at the point of the season now where I get sad um, because we are close towards the end of the season. However, bowl season is the best season. And it's almost here. So hang with us. We'll go over a bunch. And we're bowling this year. So that's yeah. Pinstripe bowl, baby. I would actually, I would love to go to that, that bowl game. I'd love to see a football game in Yankee stadium. Cause I sure as hell am not going to watch the Yankees play. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been to old Yankee stadium. I haven't been to their new one, but um, yeah, no, it's a good show. Appreciate you uh, listening. If you don't mind, leave us a review uh, five stars, four stars, preferably. Um, if you prefer to get your uh, podcasts on YouTube, we're on YouTube now. This is coming to you via video. You can see our beautiful, smiling faces um, and how hysterical we are when we were talking about that EBA third down play. Um, but that's our show. Thanks for listening. Uh, welcome, Brent Pry, to the Virginia Tech family. And yes. uh, go Hokies. Let's take it back, Virginia. Let's get it.